Not had enough of me yet? Well, good news. You can now listen to William Hill's Upfront with Simon Jordan podcast right here. The series, hosted by me, gives you a front row seat to big name interviews discussing their career successes and failures. Sit back and enjoy. When I went into the jockey's changing room, I, I, I don't mean this in way, I looked around and thinking, I want to be better than everyone in here. Yeah. And, I, and, and even though if you're at Crystal Palace, the footballer, you should walk in there thinking, I want everyone to think that I'm the best one out there. I broke my back on the 12th of January, I got operated on the 15th of January. I rode it on a Friday before Cheltenham, which was about the 10th of March. So in just under eight weeks, I went to two neurosurgeons in London about six weeks later and they looked at me like as if to say, what are you doing here? The day I held up the trophy in Sandown and put it down Sunday morning, it was gone. Yeah. It was like someone oh, else's. Yeah. Yeah. Someone else was completely gone. So I, I, really, I, I really only ever felt that I got three or four weeks of enjoyment out of being champion jockey. This is up front with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views, strong opinions, and get them to stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way. But more importantly, so might you. Joining me in today's episode is the greatest jockey ever produced and one of the most iconic, recognisable names in not only horse racing, but across much of the sporting pantheon. It's Sir... A.P. McCoy. Now, before we get into this, what am I calling you? Am I calling you Sir? Am I no, calling you A.P.? Am I calling you sorry, Tony? Sir, whatever you want. Not sorry. What no. are you happiest with? A.P. A.P. Yeah. Okay, A.P. Now, a, a statistic that leaps out to me is that uh, you come from a country with 1.8 million people, but you seem to produce this endless list of sporting greats and sporting achievers you've got pat jennings you've got darren clark you've got carl frampton you've even got ian dowie who managed for me and got us out <laughs> of the premier into the premier league but more importantly than that from that part of the world there were some geniuses i mean real geniuses like alex higgins and what i consider to be the greatest footballer to ever yeah. have been on the football pitch george best and then there's yourself. Is there something in the water over there, something going on in that part of the world? As a kid, you know, you go through stages of watching, wanting to be Alex Higgins, wanting to be Barry McGuigan, wanting to be... Do you? Yeah, you do. You, you, you follow the trait of whatever whatever they are. And, I mean, you you speak about those people and, and I, I... But they're, I mean, they're geniuses. I mean, you, yeah. you're at the top of your profession. They, you, You're slightly different because you're at the top of your profession for a sustained period of time. They were at the top of their profession for a limited period of time, but they were geniuses, and some would argue you yeah. might be in that camp that you're one too in your field. Uh, do you know, I, I don't know. I, I look at those people, and I, I look at a George Best or a Barry McGuigan, and I think, yeah, they were like global superstars. Like George Best was mm. like a god. You know, he was like, yeah, he maybe didn't have the longevity, but if you listen to, uh, you know, I remember listening to Pelly, he said he was one of the, maybe the best footballer they've ever saw, seen. But that's all about opinions and generations and and everyone's kind of got them. They were troubled geniuses. Is that something? I mean, you're at the top of your game. You stayed there for 20 years and you've, you know, you've achieved everything that you could possibly want to achieve in the sport. Those two boys were the genius. No doubt they were geniuses. Well, they were very troubled geniuses. Is that something that well, you have or something uh, part of your life? That... I, 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 I think there's a madness inside everyone that has... has got the ability to I'm not I think I'm I'm different obviously I don't have it but I I look at all the sports people that I look up to as you know a Tiger Woods a Diego Maradona mm -hmm. who I thought I was 12 when he won the World Cup and I I to this day think he's the best footballer I've ever seen in my life yeah Zinedine Zidane Mike Tyson you know I think a Michael Schumacher you know I I think there's I think there has to be a little bit of 
there has to be a switch. You know, I think there has to be a moment in your head you think, you know, that I'd rather die than let someone beat me. I'd rather. I think there has to be a crazy. Does that, that come? Does that come from your background? I mean, we all come from somewhere, right? I come from South London. I was brought up with a certain outlook and certain disposition, mm. with a with a quick thinking father and an ambition to be successful. Yeah. You come from a very different part of the world. You come from yeah. a part of the world where. It's a, a divided part of the world. Sectarianism yeah. forms part of the yeah. things. I yeah. think the trainer, Billy Rock, that you were talking yeah. about um, was a Protestant, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. He um, was so which yeah. was a different position than you took. Yeah. Does does that sort of environment, growing up in those those sort of environments, do you believe that shapes the, uh, the, the trajectory that you've gone on in your life? You know, I grew up as a, as a Catholic in Northern Ireland. I grew up as a Celtic fan, the first football match I ever went to. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I, I went to, I went, my dad brought me on the boat from Larn to Strenard to go and watch Celtic at Parkhead. And, and that's just where you're brought up and that's where you grew up and that's what you, that's what your life is. And then to start riding, you know, for, for this man, Billy Rock, who happened to be a Protestant and he used to, my mother, God rest her, was, she was very Irish, you know what I mean? I was going to say that because yeah. one of the things I understand is that your mother was very passionate about Irish independence. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm Irish. I will always be Irish. I've got an Irish passport. I, I, look at no, I look at the north of Ireland now and I think, you know, you'll never be able to, the, the, the politics of it will never keep everyone happy, you know what I mean? But, I, you know, those unionists or Protestants in the north of Ireland will always want to be British and the ones who are Catholics and, and nationalists will always want to be Irish, you know what I mean? And... But given you, you know, came from background of fierce Irish independence, how yeah. do you square that circle when you've sort of embraced the nature of you've been given a gong yeah, yeah, and those sort of things? If someone had said to me when I was 10, 12, 13, 14 years old and I was playing Gaelic football that I would get an MB or an OB or a knight or whatever, I'm thinking, not a chance. That won't be happening. You know, I remember ringing my mother in 2002 when I broke the Gordon Richard record and telling her that, you know, I don't even know if there was emails at the time. I think it was a letter from the Home Office. You know, I said, I, I don't know what, what am I supposed to do? Like, you know, am I, you know, 2002, the peace process, had, I think it had, had already come in and whatever. And, and I remember she said to me, she said, look, Martin O'Neill managed, you know, the most Republican football mm. club in the world. He's from Derry, not far from where we live. Um, and he took, an o, he took an MBE, I think it was at the time. And she says, I think, you know, you're, you're going to be living the rest of your life in England and we have to, you know, you have to move on and, and that's going to be your life. And you know, it's the right thing to do in, in this time. And, you know, once do you value it, I mean, I've got, I mean, uh, do you know, what? I, I'm very respectful of it. I, I, you know, I get where there will be people in Northern Ireland who will always be affected by what happened to their, you know, it'll be generations before it ever goes, if it ever goes away, because there will always be people affected directly by the troubles that we. Do you think sports people, I mean, I've got, I've got this mixed emotion about it. AP, I'm not entirely sure. And I've made this case in many other places that I'm for the idea of gongs being given to sports people. I think they were originated for something very different. Yeah. And they've been morphed into this society that we've now got, which is basically give a gong. Yeah. Now, I'm not against recognition greatness, yeah. of recognition of achievements, <laughs> but do you think I'm unfair in that analysis? That not at all. Be? I don't. I, I think would... it's ludicrous to call your racing or Andy, Andy yeah. Murray serving a ball. It's Sir Andy Murray ser yeah. serving. I mean, I've never, I, 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 am, I am very, I feel very proud that someone wanted to give it to me. I have never ever written sir down in my life. I've never, Good lad. I've never introduced myself. But I'm not being disrespectful for what I've got. Yeah. I, 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 you know, it, it's. I was offered it. I, I, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I was offered it. But I don't. I've, as I said, I'd never sign my name, sir. I think I had to do it in an official document once. I can't remember what it was. Someone made me do it. So, I look at someone like my little lad had heart surgery when he was eight months old, 
and a, and a man in, in the Hardy Street Clinic operated on him. And yeah. I thought to myself, you're a genius. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, yeah. you, you, you operate, you do two operations every day of the week, three days in Great Ormond Street and two days in the Hardy Street Clinic. You do two operations every day. I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I've got a little boy that's had some yeah. surgery, something similar, yeah. not on the heart, but in yeah. the mouth. And you look at those people and you look at society that rewards people for doing things they enjoy and things yeah. they love yeah, and yeah, call yeah. them heroes and call them, um, you know, reward them in a certain way. And you've got these other guys out there that are doing things that are far far more meaningful. And I remember after Victor operated at Archie and he telling me about, oh, you do a sport and it's pressure. He said, you know, he said, I, I operate two operations mostly every day. He said, it doesn't always go right. Mm. And he said, I have to and live that's with pressure, that. right? And he said, I have to live with that. Yeah, and you think to yourself, like, imagine. And he said, "I have to come thinking, how how did I let that happen, or how do I tell a mother or a father mm. that it didn't go well?" You know. So, in terms of being in sport and being in pressure and and jumping the gun again, it's not. But anyway, it's not comparison, to, is it? It's not comparison. Not so, comparison. but back to the gun thing. It's it's something that I'm I'm proud of. I'm, I I feel, you know, from where I came from and the politics of all. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I would never go home. And and think that those people I went to school with or those people that were brought up as Catholics in Northern Ireland were thinking like, you know, I don't think they're a traitor. I think they're, you know, they don't yeah. think they think for one moment. And I think they, I think they're respectful of me. They know what's happened and it's just the way it's worked out. And, um, but I, I'm respectful of it. And and as I said, this is the thing about being brought up in Northern Ireland. You, 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 you know that there's going to be generations who will be affected by the troubles yeah. For, the, for until and it may be five generations before ever it dies. I went to school with lads that their their parents may have been that that they may have lost parents in the in the troubles. You know what yeah. I mean? And and because I mean so, I see people's so I understand their hatred. Simon, yeah, and you know? sometimes that hatred is inbred in such yeah. a way that people don't even know why they're carrying it anymore. I mean, we can go back to the repeal of the potato laws and start saying yeah. that's the reasons yeah. why the dispute came yeah. from that. Yeah. I mean, we're all products of our environment, and you've you've left Northern Ireland. Mm. I left. So I couldn't wait yeah. to get out of South London. Yeah, yeah. The quicker yeah. I could get away from yeah. it, the happier I was. Yeah. Went to America. The stupid bastard came back and bought the football club lived yeah. next door to. But that's a different <laughs> discussion. But. You know, you've you've left Ireland, yeah. but the shaping of your character, we are what we are, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, you can take yeah. you can take uh, the boy out of South London, but you can never take South London out of the boy. You can yeah. take you out of Northern Ireland, but never North, Northern Ireland out of yeah. you, right? No, hundred percent. Growing up as as a, a Catholic and a Northern Ireland, you 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 don't know any different. You know what I mean? You know, you're a Celtic fan or you're a Rangers yeah. fan, and that's the way it is. And you know, I grew is, up yeah. Ali McCoy. You know, I'm thinking like when I was a kid growing up, I grew up to hit Ali McCoy. You know, and then well, spend some 20... time with him. You're 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 you're, you're, you're more. Yeah, well, I do actually. This is what I'm saying. I actually become really. <laughs> he's good. a lovely fellow. I've become he's really good fellow. friends with him, and he and yeah. he's, you know, and 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 when you meet him first, you know, which was probably. I don't know how long ago, 25 years ago, whatever it was, I met him and think I was so disappointed that he was actually such a nice person. Yeah, he's <laughs> so, a nice guy, actually. Yeah, and 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 so open-minded and so, you know, and and the greatest company. So you kind of like, but but you don't know any different as a as a kid growing up. You yeah, know, that's what you're... You have your own biases. That's that's what you have your own biases. Yeah. Politics and religion are the greatest divider. Yeah. If you can keep that as many conversations yeah. as possible, then you tend to find you'll get more harmony. Yeah, so anyway, so getting from where I got to, I think, and then I went to live in this, uh, I went to live in Southern Ireland, um, from when I was 15 and as I said I left school and and the thing I remember Billy Rock telling my mother about you know she actually <laughs> she actually used to say to Billy Rock about me having no education and what will happen if he if he you know if if he's not any good as a jockey what's he going to do like what's you know but Billy Rock's main business he was the main supplier of artificial insemination for cows in Northern Ireland <laughs> right okay there's a completely right. there's another subject so he said he used to teach a lot of the big dairy farmers. He used to bring, he used to do a, a, 
he, he used to do a course every sort of six months where he'd bring in six or eight of them and teach them how to do it themselves. And he right. said to me one day, you get involved with it. He said, yeah. Right. And he taught okay. me how to do it. And he brought me home into my mother's house one day. He said, now Claire, he said, he will be all right as a jockey. I can guarantee that. But if he's not, I've taught him how to bowl cows. <laughs> so he's got something to fall back on. <laughs> I know that. I'm not sure I could do that actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Things I could so, do. I'm not sure I could but do that. The, and this is the other thing, Simon. But you, but you know, talk about religions, all this. Like, I thought Billy Rock. If Billy Rock had told me uh, you're going to the moon tomorrow, I'd have went. You'd have believed him, yeah. I'd, 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 I'd have believed yeah. him, you know. And and to this day, I look at him and think, and he gave me so much belief when I was a child. Yeah. You know, he told me that I should go. You 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 have every chance of being a, a proper jockey, and if you you know you've got work ethic, and and you, sh you should leave home because it's never going to work for you here, and you have to go and do this. I want to talk to you about I want to talk to you about your particular sport, and and, I, and cards on the table. I'm mm -hmm. not, uh, I never have been a great lover of horse racing. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. never been able to get invested in it. It, might, yeah, it yeah. may be it may yeah. be because I I well before I bought Crystal Palace, I had yeah. a huge punt on a on a. Horse yeah. called Sellers Flyer. Okay, yeah, lost yeah, the fortune, yeah. and then yeah, when yeah. I bought a football club that played at Sellers yes, Park, maybe yeah. that's a stigma. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. It's not it's not aimed at being disrespectful. Yeah. Um, but it's aimed at. Well, I'm trying to square a circle in my mind and looking at sportsmen mm -hmm. because you're you're a sportsman. Yeah. Um, and I look at sports and I say, I look at all these guys and all these sports where people achieve in them, mm -hmm. and I attribute their success solely to themselves. I look at cricketers. I look at tennis players, yeah. I look at boxers, I look at footballers, mm -hmm. and I think to myself, there's no other component part. No. The only part that makes you successful is your own ability. Yeah. And then I look at horse racing yeah. or Formula One. Yeah. And I say Car horse. Car horse. Yeah. yeah. And does that mean then that I put you in the same bracket as being a great sportsman alongside those other sportsmen? But you wouldn't have been without the horse or the car. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Uh, I think that, you know, you need you need the animal, you need the car to to make sure you're good at, to, to, to be you're good at sports. So they do they deserve more credit than you do, and yeah, they probably do. I always think that the horse deserves the, the horse always deserves the credit because no matter how good a jockey you are. Right. I'd like to say, yeah, I was just lucky and I got on to, I got to be able to ride more horses that were faster than everyone else's horses and it was just pure luck that I had nothing to do with my ability to you know, nothing to do with Michael Schumacher's ability to to be able to navigate his way around a racetrack because he was in the fastest car, whether it be Ferrari or whoever it was he was driving for. So is the argument, I mean, is there is there a fairness in the argument and I, I that the best horse will win the will win the race more often than not? I think, but I, I think I think you do need the horse, but I do think as a jockey or a Formula One driver, you do need to be able to make better decisions more often, quicker decisions more often. You do need to make less mistakes, you know, then you need to be able to win more than everyone else. And you need to put yourself in a position where someone is going to want you more than anyone else. So I, I do think a bad jockey can get a good horse beaten. Yeah. A good jockey has less chance of getting a good horse beaten. Or do I look at races and think the jockey made the difference there? Yeah, I do, because I think they have a, a better ability to read a situation quicker, to make an instinctive maneuver quicker than others. Um, and, and it's like that. Do you think do you, do, do you think Michael Schumacher would just, do you think he was just maybe... A, you know, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think ultimately the question the question abounds about my comparing you, I suppose, not as a great jockey against other jockeys, but as yeah. a as a great sportsman. Yeah. And the framing of you as a great sportsman. Yeah. yeah. I introduce you yeah. in this in, in this set as one of the greatest, most recognizable sportsmen. And I yeah. want to question that because I'm looking at it going, 
well, what do I consider to be a sportsman? I consider a sportsman to be someone that is controlling his own destiny and responsible for his own destiny. And the yeah. only part of his destiny yeah. that he can alter is the things he does. And then I look at Michael Schumacher and I look at jockeys. And it's yeah. and again, it's not me being disrespectful, no, no. AP. It's me no, trying no. to understand I, the I, dynamic I, and square my own circle and and yeah. and and and. and and, and understand my own thinking about it. Yeah, I, I think I think you see that. I, I think me as a jockey, I think, and a little bit like Formula One driver, I think you, even though it is a car or a horse, I do think there is a team around that as well. And to be a good sports person, whether it be a football or whatever, I think, you know, their their teams are... are but you can't have a great jockey and a shit horse, can you? And no, win not, things. No, not really, no, yeah. but you can... I like to think that I got on horses before that other people had ridden lots and didn't win on, and I managed to get them to win. Right. So I was able to work out ways to make them run faster. And it and we in sport, uh, me as a jockey, give horse enough credit because I think the the mentality of them is so important. It's all you can all say very well. It's about their fitness levels and all that. But but the mind of a horse is like the mind of a human. And sometimes yeah. when you get them to win, you know, winning is 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 a the greatest habit to get into. And it's like. You know, it's whether it be a boxer, some of them lose confidence, some of them get confidence. And I think horses get confidence in winning. And I think if you can teach them mentally, you know, and, and you think... People, so you, have you ridden a losing horse and turned it into a winner? Yeah, I, I think I yeah. think I rode lots of horses, Don't not in an arrogant way, but I, I rode horses that had ran eight or 10 or 12 times before, never won. And then I managed to get them to win four races in a row. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that, you know, if you, you, you know, what's the difference between being a football manager that's, don't like mention, but what 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 Unai Emery has done at Aston Villa, like you think, yeah, as, a, you know, yeah. as know, opposed to what he did with Arsenal. So so, you know, you think to yourself, you know, is he all of a sudden those players that he had are that they've 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 turned around unbelievable in in five or six months? Maybe he just got lucky. You know, I, I don't know. No, of course it's, it's not. It's, 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 a trying, skill, it's it? hard to it's compare. A, it's a skill. It's hard to compare me with Unai Emery, Emery and say that's he's got those those, those footballers <laughs> right. to, to yeah. run more and play better than he had some old nags before yeah I mean how do you develop your relationship and connection with an animal then uh, you see this is the thing as well as I as I grew up as a kid having not really a great knowledge of horse racing not really knowing like I never got taught how to ride I, I and the more I get into horse racing I kind of watch the best people and I think to be a jump jockey when I came to the first Richard and Woody was champion jockey and I used to look at him I think and it was before you know John Frankham and Peter Scorn were more before my time but Richard and Woody was the best and I didn't want to know about any of the rest of them I just right. I just wanted he was my because statistically in every reason he had all he had, ever, he had everything he won everything he was better than anyone else so in my opinion I didn't care what anyone else thought all I wanted to do was I emulate to, him Yeah. what makes a great jockey I know what makes a great uh, footballer I know what makes a great tennis player because I've played tennis myself. I, you know, I was sponsored by Donai. I got to a certain level at tennis. I played football. I signed for Chelsea when I was 15 years of age. Yeah. I've been around people that have been successful yeah. in business. So I know what makes a great businessman. I know what makes a good tennis player. I know what makes a great sports person in certain respects. But given my attitude towards horse racing and looking at your particular profession, what makes a great jockey? I think for 20 years of my life as a jockey, I don't think I was ever content. I was never satisfied. I was never happy. I was happy. I was happy being miserable. I always wanted more. I never, I was never satisfied. I, I. But that's the nature of ambition, isn't it? Yeah. I've always been the same. Never content. Never content. And I, and I, I went to sports psychology when I was 23 because it was a thing that was becoming, you know, something that was talked about. I think even maybe Tiger might have even, you know, but I just thought, but I went because I thought it might make me better. Do you know what I mean? I went because I was open-minded to think that this could make me 
and I'm and I'm not being disrespectful to them because it definitely helps some people and it makes people better and that's what you should always you, but aspire to yeah. aspire to it. It yeah. didn't make me better because I I never wanted to be happy with not winning. I didn't want I wanted to go to bed at night miserable when I when I was when I was crap at what I was meant to be good at. And but the good thing that I felt that I got really good at was waking up the next morning believing that today is the day. Yeah. And and I am going to be good today. And I was very I think my what I I found I think what helped me a lot is that I I was good at being level. I never got up or down. I yeah, the Rudyard Kipling thing where you don't get done by either imposters. You don't go ridiculously yeah. high when you yeah. win, and you don't go ridiculously low when you lose. And and never to worry about praise or criticism because yeah. you know the treat them equally. Treat them equally, yeah. and but you have to appreciate and you have to enjoy the big day winning the Cheltenham Gold Cup or the Grand National, whatever. But and and I think there's an egotistical thing in every good sports person that you know Tiger Woods knows this week that everyone is going to be watching Tiger yeah. Woods even though he's 46 or 7 there's going to be more people who want to watch Tiger Woods than there is all the other golfers put together when and you think, say you had to enjoy did you I mean I remember when Palace got promoted to the Premier League I'm 31 I buy the football club when I'm 35 I said I'll get the football club in the Premier League within 5 years I did it mm. in 4 and I remember not particularly enjoying it not particularly appreciating it and looking back on it and thinking geez, I wish I'd enjoy that moment a little bit more now it's of course, I'm not a participant in the game. I'm the owner of the football club, but you were a participant in those moments, those iconic moments where you win these huge horse races. Do you think you enjoyed them as much as you could have done? Or oh, yeah. You, were you in the moment? Oh, yeah. I, I was always in the moment. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoyed the torture of the build-up to it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed you know, th those big moments last for a little longer, obviously. So they do. But but you you enjoy the the drive to get there. But the problem is that when you hold up... You know, I, I, I was lucky. I was champion jockey for 20 years in a row. The season ended at Sandown at the end of the year. I only got enjoyment out of being champion jockey for the two or three, four weeks, whatever it was, before I held up that trophy because numerically no one was able to beat me. And I had three weeks of, that's when I felt like I was champion jockey. The day I held up the trophy in Sandown and put it down Sunday morning, it was gone. Yeah. It was like someone Start else's. Again. Yeah. Someone else was completely gone. So I, I really, I, I really only ever felt that I got three or four weeks of enjoyment uh, of being champion jockey because, right. because numerically, because no the next challenge comes again. Because the next challenge comes again, mm. and it's like, I don't think, I don't think people who, who are successful in sport are ever satisfied. Do, yeah. you know, I don't think they can. Ever, I don't think it's just sport. I think it's life. Moves. I think it's full stop. I think people that, yeah. if you know, that's why you get guys that make a lot of money in in fields that I've been in, go and make more and more and more because yeah, you're driven. Yeah. Why do they not? Why do they not give up and retire? Yeah. And, that's, that's a, and I, it was going to lead me into the observation of you know what 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 reasons do you attribute to the continued success that you had? I, I'm assuming that it's the very reasons that you're laying out there, which yeah. is the drive, the yeah, determination. Yeah. The I aspiration to, be to keep on better and never wanting to settle. Yeah, I want. It's to a be unique different. mindset. Yeah, I want it to be different. I want it to be different, and I say this, you know, I, I, you know, my little lad is nine. I bring him to places at Swindon Supermarines, plays football, and I, and I tell him, just, you know, I rub the back of his head sometimes. You're not sweating. Do you know what I mean? You're not sweating. So, so, like, you know, I can't get this thing in my head where people, you know, I, I may not have been the. You know, I, I walked, when I went into the jockey's changing room, I, I, I don't mean this in Ireland, I looked around thinking, I want to be better than everyone in here. Yeah. And I and, and even though if you're at Crystal Palace, the footballer, you should walk in there thinking, I want everyone to think that I'm the best one out there. You know, I had people saying to me, why are you going to Sedgefield four hours in a car to ride in one horse race? I'm thinking, because I can and I want to mm, and I want to. And yeah. I know that, you know, I don't care what anyone thinks. Mm. You know, if you want to beat me, you're going to have to do it as well.
You know what I mean? Are you going to, you know, How'd so, you react to failure? Or, or not because you didn't have much, to be honest, we didn't have much of it. Did oh, no, you? I did. I had, I had more than anyone else. That's, really? That's the thing. I, I rode nearly 18,000 races. So you won one in four. And, and, and yeah, I rode, uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I, and I, and I, nearly 18,000 races. And the day I retired, Richard Johnson, who was, he actually was champion jockey for four years after me. He was runner up to me 16 years in a row. And there was all these headlines in the paper about how so great, called great I was. I rode 4,357 winners or whatever. And Richard Johnson looked at me and goes, yeah. And not one so-and-so has mentioned the nearly 14,000 losers you're after riding, have they? Do you know what I mean? He said, you're actually the losing most jockey of all time. Now, the greatest thing for me is that he's actually the losing most jockey now ever because he rode for longer than me and didn't win as many as me. So I'm pleased. I'm pleased that that's one record he's had. So, so you actually lose more. You do actually lose more. But I had this thing as long as I win more than everything else. And I used to look at myself as the, I wasn't being disrespectful to the others. I used to look at myself as the benchmark. If I could beat what I'd done the previous time, then then I'll be hard to beat. You know so, how mean? do you look at your record? I mean, you, I mean, you, you've you know you've got this unique perspective of having ridden the most winners, mm. yet the statistic comes out that you lose more than you win, yeah. and and you look at that and does that because I've had met significant failures in my life. You yeah. know, the ultimate end of my yeah. time at Crystal Palace was a failure that I took very hard and yeah. to, and and I believe that you learn more from failures I believe that oh, you get yeah. more from the challenges in life than you do when you win it breeds a certain type of mentality when you lose it breeds another yeah so i suppose the question is do you take more from some of the failings uh, than I, you did from some of the successes i i i suppose i what i did at the evening times i used to come home and watch replays and i probably spent more I, well i didn't probably i definitely spent more time watching the races that i didn't win trying to work out why i didn't win and what I did do, I rode from Manco Martin Pipe, who was the most successful jump trainer ever. I, I used to write reports about his horses every night. And and then I ended up writing about reports about other horses that weren't even his because I thought to myself, well, I could actually learn a bit from this, from my mistakes, and I can look back and I've got it in writing. And it's not like trying to remember it because if you got it written down, you, you actually... And, and, and I know that those are things that made me better. I, you know, I know that those are things that not... I don't rivalry was was yeah. rivalry. I mean, I, I had I didn't have rivals in my business career. I had people that I thought I think that rivalry I could do makes you better. You That's need what I was going to say. Yeah, did it inspire you? Yeah, did I mean, it motivate when I, you? When I started off as an apprentice jockey, uh, in a, with a man called Jim Bulger, there was there was so many good young jockeys there, and 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 it makes you better. Competition makes you better. I think it's the early two thousands that Arsenal and Manchester United make each other better. You know, do you think people say, "Oh, Manchester City are the best Premier League team we've ever seen," but you, you look at you look at the Arsenal team or I look at the Invincible well, you team. you would because you're an Arsenal fan. Yeah, right? but I look at the Man United team even. I think like, you know, how how good the two of those teams are, even the United team that want to treble, you know what I mean? You think to yourself, I still think the Arsenal Invincible team is like, you know, I think, again, that's the moment of history, you think. And I, it's one of the things I often slag through Alex Ferguson about. It's like, you know, he, he is supposedly the most decorated football manager in English history. And I say to him, but you let a team go through a Premier League season unbeaten. Unbeaten. Uh, and and it, kills him I know it kills him it's the only thing that you can get him but but and then of course it's 12 draws you know what I mean I mean how come you know yeah. but that's not that's not winning that's drawing games. yeah yeah, yeah. But, but what I'm saying is that's you know that's it's like I had this debate with Keown you're yeah. not actually Martin Keown you're not actually yeah, yeah. An Arsenal, Arsenal Invincible because yeah. you only played four games <laughs> know, that's right, right? Doesn't I count, did hear right, it doesn't yeah. I did hear it but you know what I'm saying so I look at that and I think you know that 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 is that is greatness yeah know, in terms of like you know, when that, you look at it in isolation at the time, yeah, I, you know, because my team Palace were in the Premier League at that time, and we we um, played Arsenal on their 49th game, 
and then they lost their 50th. I think they lost yeah, it to Manchester United. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and we nearly beat them at Sellers yeah, Park and right, missed yeah. a goal in the last minute. And uh, and you didn't you, you, at the time I didn't really appreciate yeah. the greatness of what Arsenal had achieved. Yeah. I want to go back to I want to go back to your sports mm -hmm. um, and talk about the current state mm -hmm. of horse racing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a sport of kings. Yeah. Also it's badged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously there's a lot going on in the modern era from the yeah. use of the whip. Yeah. to allegations of misogyny, yeah. to uh, situations uh, surrounding trainers sitting on the carcasses of dead horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got PETA and the animal rights groups rising yeah, yeah. up left, right and centre. Yeah, yeah. And the sport seems to be in a strange place. You've got people having whips airbrushed out. You've had allegations of yeah, overusing yeah. the whip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you, what, how do you look at it now? It's a sport that you love. It's a sport that you, you've talked to me about the love of animals that you have. How do you square all these circles with the current challenges it's got, and of course, it's badging you know, as the sport of kings. I, I think, I think, I think society in the world is 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 very different than it used to be. Yep. And the, the the Queen of England, God rest her, it was it was her, yeah, it was her passion. Her you know passion, what I mean? Yeah. And you, you know, you sit down, and you speak to her about it, and all she could tell you everything about about the generations of the horses that they had in the family, and 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 you think to yourself, you know, there is you know someone in this country, there is your queen, who you all look up to and, and this is our passion and, and it's all very well when she's talking about it but when someone else is trying to justify it you don't want to know mm. it's like all sports there, you know you, you often you question the governing bodies you think are there motives right you know you want reasons to make it better and you want it you know unfortunately is it something you'd like to do I mean I, I'm recently looking at the boxing world and, I'm, and I may well get involved significantly in boxing and yeah. I'm looking at some of the nonsense that's going in there in terms of the governance yeah, yeah, I call yeah. the British Boxing Board of Control the British Boxing Board of No Control I look Great, at the racing's a bit like that I look at and that's what I was going to say to you yeah, yeah. is it like that and is it something that you think given what you what you did in that profession and your reputation within the confines of it is it something that you feel that is uh a calling I, for you I, to get involved I, I, with I perhaps think, in the governance I, I, of it. I, I think in terms of horses, I think society definitely has made it more different, diff more difficult because people, you know, you, you I, I think our sport tries too hard to try and justify itself. You know, I, I, in, is that because it has to? I, you know, I, I think does it have to? I, I don't know that it has. I, you know, as I said, you know, you. Would well, you not think it does? If you if you've got if you've got an animal, I mean, yeah. this is, be, this is yeah, me yeah. playing devil's advocate, yeah. right? You've got an animal that's doing one thing and one thing only, and yeah. its sole focus in life is to be ridden by human beings yeah. to be able to afford an opportunity yeah. to win races. It's being hit by a whip, yeah, yeah. and people are looking at it from the outside world. Do you not think there is an element of justification in yeah. a society that evolves and moves on? Yeah, it, and it does, and I actually do think it has it has moved on. I I look at the term I, I look at the terms of that the the word whip is not a good thing as well because it. What what it is now is like a air cushioned, and, and it is it is it is so well padded now. And, and actually, genuine, I should have brought one in and let you hit me right. with it because it's actually not anywhere near. Just you know, bring me one in full stop so I can hit my producer yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, repeatedly. It's, you know, so I I Although do think that we I, I do think that you know that it could change the the wording of it because, uh, and I do think there is a I do think there is a place for it and I, and 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 I do think it has been pretty well. Do you think it'll be outlawed in the end? Uh, I I think if they make the right decisions, it won't, you know, because right. I don't think I don't think it is abusive in the way that that it has been used, and because it has been cushioned so well, I, it, you know, it makes as much noise as as it does, you know. As I said, I genuinely would let you hit me with with an air cushion whip now. It's not like it used to be. 
you know, you're on about the, the, the British Boxing Board of Control about trying to, there'll always be but it people. Seems like there's, there's challenges. There's, all, there's always going to be challenges. Here's yeah. the thing that I yeah. think there's challenges, right? Mm. And to address these challenges, like in the boxing world, the drug testing regimes are very poor yeah. and fighters aren't being tested. Yeah. And and it would appear to me that in order to be able to do something, you need to be better at doing it and addressing yeah. the issue yeah. rather than ignoring the issue. Yeah. And I suppose one of the things with horse racing that I would look at is its 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 reputation, its profile for those that are looking from the outside that want to criticise it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So does it does it do enough to be able to address? I don't just mean PR. Yeah, yeah. I mean addressing the challenges. Yeah. Everyone knows what horse racing can represent to some people. Yeah, yeah. But the challenge is that other people are suggesting that it does this, it does that, it does this and the other, and yeah. no one seems to be putting their best foot forward to be able to address those issues. Yeah, I, you see, I I think in terms of of the welfare of it all, I think it, I actually do. I often look at horses, you know, like like sports people. Horses get injured, or whatever, and and the, the care that. What did you think of Gordon Elliott? What he did? I mean, it was a stupid thing to do. Why? Why? You know why? And he knows that. You know, and he uh, it was the most stupid thing to do. Why would you do it? Now, the one thing I would say, and I'm not standing up for him. If you went to Gordon Elliott's yard as a whole, it has state of the art equipment for looking after them. He has vets in regularly that check the horses, that look after their welfare. You see horses that. You know that may have an injury. You can take them to the vet and they get looked at within ten minutes, yeah. five minutes. The vet will be there and they'll give them. You know, you're in a hospital. You could be waiting for God, however long, well, to, try and, nature. to try and get care. Yeah. And you think to yourself, God, a horse is is so much better off than a human. And 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 the man who I used to ride for, JP Manis, has has full time vets that, that he makes. He he wants the vet to go and check his horses every couple of weeks. You know, they trot them out to make sure that that they may have any little sorenesses or, or things that may, that, you know, prevention is better than cure. They don't want them to happen to them because you want to make sure they're sound and they're healthy. And, you know, if that was a human being, they, they don't, you don't, you don't go into the healthcare and every couple of weeks and make sure your health is all right. You know what I mean? I'm no. thinking, but this happens. Different to the, value seemingly. You know, this yeah. happens, this happens to the horse. And it's not because he, he wants the horse, he obviously wants the horse to, to win races and be perform well, but he, he likes having them at home. There's, there's, any gods amount of them that are Easter Brackers 31, not just because he was a brilliant racehorse, but he's at home and he's looking after, he gets better. He's a better retirement than I'll ever have. You know, and 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 so so trying to justify it as, as a business, it's a hard thing to try and justify it. But as I said, that's something that, you know, I often say, this was my thing, theory, is that, you know, the Queen of England, that was her passion, you know, and you think why no one ever once questioned, you know, why she had racehorses. But I suppose the question about horse racing is it's it's fitness for purpose in the current yeah. culture that we live in. And one of the parts of that, I'm, I hate this expression, yeah. but it's one that gets used a lot, which is diversity and inclusion. And yeah. that moves into the territory of talking about the experiences of female jockeys yeah, yeah, yeah. inside yeah. the world of horse racing. And we've obviously seen the situation with Bryony Frost mm. and, the, and the scenario that happened with her yeah. um, and uh, the weighing room. What do you make of the culture of horse racing specifically for female jockeys to be able to survive, thrive, oh, I, prosper in? I, I think the likes of Rachel Blackmore and Holly Doyle in the flat. You know, Holly Doyle is the prime example of a girl who done really well as an apprentice um, and, and said herself that she wasn't good enough to compete. Went off, got a personal trainer, the whole lot, became yeah. stronger, became fitter, and now Came is... better. And, and, and made herself better. But what and about this allegation that the culture of the weighing room is... Prejudicial against female jockeys. I, I think. I think the culture of the weigh room. I think with that. I think that was a media-driven story. If I'm being perfectly honest. How many female jockeys were you around during your time? 
Uh, there was a few. It was becoming. It was. Uh, there were. You know, they were becoming more. Yeah, I, th- I think. I think Rachel Blackmore. I think really she was the one that that made a breakthrough in terms of girls. You know that she gave them a real. I think you can win the Grand National. You can win the Cheltenham Gold Cup. You can win the Champion Hurdle. You know, if you're if you're good enough, it's got nothing to do with whether you're male or female. I mean, uh, you we 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 spoke about Formula One earlier on. Mm. So what? Why? If it's a car. Yeah, why have I know we, where you're going with why, that. Yeah, yeah. why have we not had a, a female racing driver? Female racing driver. Mm. I, you know, I feel like you know, if you read the newspaper, you believe that there wasn't a female changing room. You know, that's that's what people are led to believe. You know, no one. I was never in a female changing room in my life. You know, but no, but it's the culture in that specific room, yeah. the weighing room, that people yeah. are suggesting is an intimidating environment. It's a prejudicial environment. That's where the allegations. I, you know, and I was curious to see. You yeah. know what and, your and, take and, on and it was. My take on would have been if there had been a, a number of them had came out in support of and said, "Yeah, there is a culture." Yeah, but, but they but didn't do that. There wasn't one. No, no. You know, and, and that fa- for me, and in fact, that the, for the me would actually, actually applies. That would actually for me think, oh, well, is there a culture or is it just what? Was well, that because they just, were too scared to come out with it? Because ultimately, think, they would I lose think, acceptance. I think if you actually went and asked them all, and I think there was actually, I think the BHA got themselves in the position where they where they let it go so far that they. They had to do something. They had to do something. Yeah. You know, so, but that's only my opinion. Football. Mm-hmm. Love of yours. Yeah. Tell us about your first experience. You went to Celtic. You've, went, you've well, moved, you've pivoted from Celtic to Arsenal. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you how I ended up an Arsenal fan. I, I was five when Arsenal won the 1979 FA Cup. I had two, Alan Sunderland. Yep. 3-2 Manchester United. Yep. I had two older cousins who were Manchester United fans. I think they were probably maybe eight and ten or and we were watching the FA Cup final, and my dad, you know, had said to me, he wasn't, he wasn't, he was probably more a Gaelic man than soccer, any, but he had said to me that the Arsenal team were pretty much Irish, you know, right? Pat Jennings, Liam yeah. Brady, Frank Stapleton, Frank Stapleton, David yeah. O'Leary, Sammy Nelson, Sammy Nelson, Pat yeah. Rice, you know, yeah. all, the whole lot of them, all Irish. So I had this thing that, and the first ever kit that I got was uh, a yellow and blue. Arsenal away Ars- kit, yeah. Arsenal away kit. Cup the, final, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was the one. I, the first one I got. I got for, got it as a, a Santa brought it for me for Christmas. I remember queuing up outside a sports shop in 1982, not long, actually probably 1983 after the world after, after the world after, cup, yeah. and, and to get Pat Jerry Jen- Armstrong to get yeah. Pat Jennings to sign a football for me. Right. And in a sports shop in Marfelt, there was a queue from here. You know, however long. I, and my mother brought me. She, as I said, there was six of the family, but she brought me because I wanted to go and get a. Uh, uh, Pat Jennings something signed by Pat Jennings she bought me a football she probably didn't, couldn't hardly afford to buy the football at the time and got Pat Jennings to sign it so from that day I became an Arsenal fan and and obviously I've been very lucky I've got to meet Pat and know him and yeah. I played golf with him whenever and, and, and I think to myself how lucky you are but you know Pat Jennings and Liam Brady were kind of my heroes growing up Liam Brady had my pants down metaphorically because <laughs> he was the academy director at Arsenal and I bought my first two players yeah. from him and David Dean over his shoulders going, we've got a mug here. Um, yeah, 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 he's worth 500 grand for that and a million quid yeah. for that. I'm buying these. Oh, is he really? Oh, thank you, Liam. Yeah. I'm thinking of this wonderful goal he scored against Spurs yeah. whilst he's t- tucking me up for two academy quid players for a couple of million so, quid. So, so I, that was that was my only time meeting Pat Jennings and I was an Arsenal fan. 1996, I think it was, I was doing something with Richard and Woody just about to become champion jockey for the first time for Guinness. And I was going through the crowd at Cheltenham and I had, I had my racing gear on, but I had a coat on and an arm stopped me going through the crowd. And I looked back and it was Liam Brady. And I was like, uh, he said, oh, I, I'm Liam Brady. I'm thinking, uh, I, I know who you are. I yeah. have pictures of you and my awards, kid. And Liam Brady actually, and that was the first time I ever met Liam Brady. Liam Brady stopped me 
in Cheltenham and I was like, and now I am really friendly with him. I play golf with him. I, and I, you know, they say, but never meeting your heroes. You know, I'm friend, but I'm, I'm actually friends with my hero. And I think to myself, how lucky are you in life to, to have a relationship with someone that you grew up worshiping as a yeah, kid? Yeah, listen, I, I, one of my favorite actors is Liam Neeson. Yeah, yeah. And, and ironically, Liam Neeson is a Crystal Palace fan. Is and, he? And years ago, because he was he moved born to, in the same hospital as me. Was he? You know? Yeah, yeah. And he to, well, he moved over. He moved over to, uh, um, I think, in his early twenties, over to South London. His yeah. best mate lived in Stockwell, yeah. so he got into supporting Crystal Palace. Yeah. And I remember years ago, I got this phone call, and I'm sat in where well, well, I live in Spain, or where I lived yeah. in Spain, and uh, he said, "Simon." I said, "Yes." He said, uh, "It's Liam Neeson here." I said, <laughs> yeah, "Yeah, right. All right, yeah, sure it is." Yeah. He said, "I'd like to come to the game." On uh, Sunday, I said, yeah. yeah, yeah, call my secretary. I forgot about <laughs> it. Walked into the boardroom. And he was there. And he's there. Oh, and he's looking at this miserable collection of pots and pans in our trophy cabinet, oh, no. which is bare. Right? He goes, this is great. It's such an honour to be here. Yeah, and I'm yeah. thinking, I don't know yeah, who's yeah. got the honour, me or you. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like, so that, So I, so so from that young age, I, you know, and most of the kids around our area were either Man United or Liverpool fans. You know what I mean? That's, you know, they were all, all the kids I knew went to school with, they were all Liverpool and, and the only reason that I became an Arsenal fan was because of that day that Arsenal won the FA Cup. And, and, and But your first experience was going over to watch the Old Firm Derbys, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't first it? experience yeah. was to go, and watch, to go and watch Celtic and Rangers. I went in the boat, 1984, went in the car, my dad and a couple of friends. And, and you literally have Celtic and Rangers fans on the boat together. And you think like, now I do think to this day, it's probably one of the greatest, and, and the Rangers fans will say the same about going to Ibrox, I do think it's one of the greatest Atmospheres and sport is oh, to go, to it. Is to go yeah, to the old firm game at Parkhead. I think yeah. it's like it's remarkable, it's a remarkable you know. experience. But yeah, so so Celtic was my first real game, and then I think I went to Highbury when I came here, and I came to England in nineteen ninety four. I think I went to Highbury in ninety five or something. I went was my was first. that George Graham? Yeah, George so Graham. and then we had I think we had Bruce Reoch for a little while, didn't we? Not oh, we had Mike, mate, but he but he but he bought Dennis Burkamp. He did. So he, he did. He bought Dennis Burkamp. So I don't think we can but, ever. You know, I suppose on what you. Uh, you give me Bruce Rick and someone else will give you Arsene uh, Wenger. Uh, I know, a... I know. And then and then we got Arsenal. And, and then we got, as Arsenal fans, you get spoiled. You get spoiled because you had a team, you know, you look at that. I mean, the biggest, greatest disaster that Arsenal ever did was letting Ashley Cole go to Chelsea. But that's another story. But you look at the... You look at <laughs> Cashley. The, you look at I had the, him at Palace for you. Yeah. But you look at that, you look at the invincible, you know, that Saul Campbell, Lauren, Toure, Ashley Cole, you know, I think it was Gilberto or Edu, Vieira, you know, Martin uh, and, and Robert Perez, mm. Lundberg, Burkamp, Henri. Some team. Like, and the Giants, mm. other than mm. Ashley Cole, they were like, you know, so um, so you get spoiled. Does football frustrate you? Because I mean, when I, when I listen to you and I talk to you, you're very driven. And you, when you get animated about winning and being better than everyone else, you can clearly see why you're at the top of your profession. When you watch footballers that sometimes have a tacit acceptance of defeat or roll about on the floor, or fanny about on the pitch, I, I, not doing what they should do. Do you look at it and go, how are you guys vaguely resembling a winner? I wondered if footballers ever go home and watch replays of, you know, getting a little flick and they roll mm. around thinking. The best ones do, I think. Do you know, I, I, and I think to myself, I, I remember, I remember breaking, I remember dislocating my collarbone and breaking eight ribs one day in Taunton. And I was petrified about getting on a stretcher in case someone seen me in case I wasn't injured properly. And I thought to myself, <laughs> And I actually thought I was, this was 2012. So I was getting to the latter part of my career and I didn't want anyone else in the way room to think that I was soft. Yeah. I wanted, to think, wasn't there anymore. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to think, you know what, if you're going to beat me, yeah. 
you're gonna you're gonna know what the definition yeah. of beating me means. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, what and, it takes and to, what it likes. Well, oh, that leads to that leads me to a, 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 a really interesting question. I think about anything in life to get anywhere in life, there has to be sacrifices, mm. and you have to make sacrifices. And I suppose the the, the ultimate question for you is how important has sacrifice been to you in your career? Because you've gone through, when would they say, a thousand falls a jockey has, yeah. 206 bones broken, a broken back, yeah. an attitude that exhibits all the characteristics of somebody that's prepared to do whatever it takes to win within the reason and realms of fairness. I look at other jockeys and you think it is a very dangerous sport and I have unfortunately saw jockeys suffer life-changing injuries and I, I've saw jockeys suffer fatal injuries that that I have images in my head that will never go out of my head. A lad, John Thomas McNamara, rode a horse in Cheltenham 2013 that I had won on lots of times, told him how to ride him, got a felt fall at the first fence, was resuscitated twice. I remember going to the doctor, it was near the last race, he told me it wasn't very good and I remember looking over at his suit hanging up thinking, he ain't coming back. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And he was, he was paralysed from the neck down he lived for about four or five years and, and then died and I remember thinking what a price to pay mm. and I have this image even I don't go into Wareham and Chatham anymore but forevermore I went to Wareham and I looked at that thinking you know he was a lad I, I was friendly with I told him he rode a horse that I rode mm. all its runs beforehand it was an amateur race it was running in and he was an amateur and I, and I rode so you know you have you have images in your head that will never go away and you think but the reality of it is there's two ambulances going around behind you and you think to yourself, in my case, I thought, I'm going in there more than anyone else because I'm going to be going hopefully faster than everyone else. Yeah. I'm going to be winning more than everyone else. And I'm going out there more than everyone else. So I have to have the mindset that... It's a trade-off. Yeah, it's a trade-off. Yeah. Trade and and, and I, I had this thing in my head that I knew I was going to get injured. I broke my ankle, broke my leg, broke my arm, my wrist, my lower back, middle back, all my, both my shoulder blades, all my ribs. Both my collarbones, my sternum, I don't milk teeth, it. You know, you know, so don't you know? But I actually, but I actually think to myself, I, I I used to think to myself, if I can get a period of time without that happening to me, I've done well. Now, I suppose the only time that I I did think, I thought for three or four minutes when I was lying on the ground in Warwick, when I couldn't feel anything, when I broke my back, I kind of thought that I didn't know if the sweat would run down my forehead out of pain or fear. Right. And I said, in those three or four minutes, if someone came along and said, look, I don't have any painkillers, but I have a gun. Do you want me to shoot you? You'd think, give it another yeah. 30 seconds. If they don't come, shoot me. That's how bad it is. Then the doctor comes along and the uh, first aid and they put you in a spinal board and you can feel underneath your legs and the doctor sticks a needle in you and fills you with morphine. And then I, I all I wanted to do was, was prove to the doctor that I could get better. I can yeah. heal quicker than everyone else. I can get back. I broke my back on the 12th of January. I got operated on the 15th of January two plates, four screws either side of my spine. And I rode Friday before Cheltenham, which was about the 10th of March. So in just under eight weeks, I, I got back to riding horses. When I went to two neurosurgeons in London about six weeks later, and they looked at me like they say, what are you doing here? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I'm thinking I'm going to ride in like in, in a week and a half, two weeks. I'm thinking, it's a psyche of a winner though. You know, so, so you think to yourself, you know, all I want to do is to prove to him that you can actually do this. Yeah. And... Actually, one of the funny things I went to do, um, I, I went to Steve Perdue had a, had a cryotherapy unit. Oh, down Chumneys. In, in Chumneys. Yeah, I know Steve, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I spent sort of uh, through Charlie Brooks at the time, who was who, who was a trainer at the time, and he'd get into this, this cryotherapy. It increases, the, increases the white cells in the blood, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And do you know what? I couldn't do much, and I thought, do you know what? This is not going to do me any harm. 
and I spent like sort of two, three weeks in Champneys and this girl Renata was telling me about she was running the, the cryotherapy unit and Shefty Kuchi actually had stayed in there he longer. Me. Yeah, that's what I yeah. said. He was a big he should lad. should have stayed in there. <laughs> I think he went in there before the games. <laughs> but he was like, he was a big lad, was he? Was he six Huge, yeah. Four, a yeah. flying fin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said to me, she, Renata said, I said, How's, how, how, how long has anyone ever stayed in here for? She goes, oh, Shefty Kuchi used to play for Crystal minutes. Palace. <laughs> she, 90 <laughs> minutes. No, he said he stayed in there for like four minutes at, yeah. or three and a half minutes at minus 150 or something. Yeah. Like that. And I said, I'll beat him before I leave. And she went, you won't, you're too small. She said, he was six foot four, or six foot five, and he was 14 or 15 stone. Yeah. I said, you said, you're too small. I said, I'll beat him. Anyway, so in there for two or three weeks and eventually I, the last day I said, right, we're going up to minus 155, four minutes. Well, I got so badly burnt. I remember thinking it was like, like a, and I mean, I got burnt, I got burnt everywhere because all you had was a pair of shorts, a pair of wooden clogs and a pair of gloves. And I'm thinking, however much you might have just did, like shift the coochie at the time <laughs> when I was coming out of that bloody cryotherapy, you know, I didn't. I you didn't, disliked him much I, more. I disliked him even more. How so, long did you do? So I did, I think I did four and a half minutes at minus 155. Oh, I got so badly. I did two minutes, I felt sick as a I got dog. so badly burnt. And, and it wasn't even beneficial to me. It was just the fact that I wanted, <laughs> I just wanted. So, so from terms of injuries and all that, I used to, I, I, I liked the challenge of getting myself better I, I, I do think you like to change everything mate. I'm not saying I'm not saying that all healing is in the mind but but it starts there but but I, I think you know and and, and God you, you know you see you know you, you, we're very lucky in sport you see people that are affected by sport you know I look at you know just in recent times you know you, you look at what happened to, to Dottie Ware and you think and Rob Burroughs and I, I look at that mm. Kevin Sinfield yeah. and, you saved the young boy's life didn't you I actually a young lad, James Bone, got mm. a fall one morning in in Nicky Henderson's, and um, actually it's not something I ever really spoke about, but he got a fall, and 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 I I I was there with four or five others, and I seen it happen, and and I and I thought the way he landed that he, you see enough of it, and you think I actually just thought he was concussed. I thought he just knocked himself out, and I, I went over to him and I and I said to the uh, the others, I'm I'm obviously not a doctor, but I said we'll we'll you know we'll get him on his side till he you know he he comes round. So he he, he I could see that he was breathing, but as he started to come around, I could see his face was getting redder and he started to, his his mouth was kind of only a little bit opened and he started to panic and I could hear him going, he was like this, and he, and he was like really, really struggling and, I, and, I, and he was getting redder and redder and his eyes were getting bigger and bigger and I could see that I, I well, I could see there was something wrong with him because I, I, and I couldn't believe that I, that he had a neck injury, they had neck in, a neck injury and and he just stopped breathing, yeah. just literally. And 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 I had this thing in my head that he's obviously swallowed his tongue. And I I remember, I suppose instinctively you just think that what what do you do when someone mm. stops breathing? You know what I mean? And and so I got down on my I literally was lying on my front, and I got my and I got prized up his mouth. I prized up his mouth, yeah. but his his jaw had locked. I think you're when you when it happens, your jaw locks. Right. I got my fingers into his mouth and eventually got to hold his mouth open. And I said to one of the lads, please just get his tongue and yeah, pull his tongue yeah. out, pull out as much as you can. And I remember looking at thinking there's blood everywhere. And I'm thinking, what's after happening? You know, like he's, there's blood coming out of his mouth. And I was pulling and pulling and pulling. And I said, just get his tongue and hold it. And after about 30 or 40 seconds, he started to go, <laughs> mm. come around again. Anyway, and eventually he came around after all. And the next thing I looked, and the blood was from my fingers that he actually had bitten, <laughs> bitten through him, had yeah. bitten through my fingers mm -hmm. so bad. And uh, we were very lucky in racing. We have the the ambulance, the air ambulance comes really quickly to Lambourne where we live. But the fog was really bad that morning. And then eventually about 25 minutes later, it's only about 20 minutes from, from the Great Western Hospital in Swindon and the ambulance came out and he had no recollection of anything that had happened. 
didn't know mm. that he'd swallowed his tongue or anything. And, and you know, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, I don't know that it's thing about saving someone's life, but you think it's just, well, you a, did, rea- it's you? just a reaction thing. You know what I mean? Well, you did it. I mean, lots of and, people can and, react to things and can't do it, but you're beginning to get on my nerves, you are. And it's not you, something... You, you save not... people's lives. You're the greatest jockey. <laughs> no, no, You've but... got a bloody knighthood. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you hang around with Jay Pinkelmanis. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't do I'm, badly, do you? Yeah, that's the other thing in life. You think you you, know, you get lucky. As I left school when I was fifteen, Simon, and and I, I think that you're lucky with who you get involved with in life as well. Yeah. And, and I was very lucky that that I worked for a man called Jim Bulger, who was a brilliant racehorse trainer. And, he was, and I think if you had ambition to learn in terms of racing, it would have been like going to Man United and yeah. learn off Alex Ferguson, yeah. or you know, and and then you come to. You come to England and I end up working with Toby Balding, who was a very successful trainer from a very successful family, a very respectable family in racing. And then I went to Martin Pipe, who was a game changer in terms of horse racing. And then, you know, I had seven and a half years working with him, who taught me that sport was all about winning. Mm. It's not about taking part. And it's all about changing. The, it's all about it's all about doing things that people hadn't done before. It's all about moving the goalposts. It's all about about you know, about setting benchmarks that people can't, that people are going to want to, the only way they can beat you is by copying you or trying to yeah. copy you or emulate you. They can say all the bad things they want about you, but they end up copying you to try and beat you. And then I end up riding for, for, for JP for 10 or 11 years and not because he's obviously a wealthy man, but we, I became good friends and it was nothing to do with money because I, I told him at the time when he wanted to employ me first that his money didn't make me happy, that I wanted to be champion jockey and he didn't have enough horses. So he got more horses and, and you know, and, and I never had a contract with him. I never, I said, look, we decided to be no contract because you might not like me and I might not like you and you can do without me and hopefully I can do without you. So if it doesn't work out, we'll, we'll, we'll walk away and there won't be anyone falling out or no one. Even though I had won the champion hurdle for him in the Grand National, it wasn't until, because the Gold Cup is the pinnacle in horse racing and it wasn't until I won the Gold Cup for him that I actually... I actually done what I felt like I'd been employed to do. Mm. All those other things were irrelevant because that wasn't the that, that wasn't was the that wasn't the Champions League or the Premier League or the World Cup or whatever. That was winning the Gold Cup and 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 even though I'd beaten Sir Gordon Richards' record as a jockey, the most winners ever, the, winning the Chatham Gold Cup for 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 JP and his wife Noreen was the, the one day I walked out of race course thinking, as Roy Keane would say, "It's your job as a I've goalkeeper to stop the ball." Yeah, I've, I've done, done my job. job. That's what I. That's what I done. AP so. McCoy, this has been fascinating. It's been illuminating. With little doubt, you are a genius sportsman. And thank <laughs> you for being up that. front with me today. Thank you. Up front with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Eighteen plus. Please gamble responsibly.